Interning, a Thomson Reuters podcast. Being a Black Intern. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome back. I'm your host, Beverly, and this is Interning. Today, I'm joined by David Wong, our Chief Product Officer, and Chris Louis, our Head of Future of Work and Talent Strategy at Thomson Reuters. Before we dive into our topic of conversation today, can you both tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what prompted you to begin your journey at Thomson Reuters? Yes, I'm happy to uh, to start. I'm David Wong and uh, thrilled to be with you today, Bev and Chris, uh, on this podcast. So I've been now at Thomson Reuters for just over two years. And uh, prior to being at Thomson Reuters, I worked at Facebook, now Meta, and uh, at the Nielsen Company and started my career in, in consulting. And uh, one of the reasons why I joined Thomson Reuters was uh, because of, one, the leadership, uh, and also because of the purpose of the company. So I I didn't know very much about Thomson Reuters when I was first approached to consider this role. I thought it was a news organization. I knew what Reuters was. You know, I knew that it provided, in the past, financial data, but I didn't know about the rich part of the uh, organization that serves lawyers and accountants and institutions around the world. And that really appealed to me, that Thomson Reuters helps to maintain the rule of law to be able to support these really important institutions across the world. And uh, that became a very, very easy decision for me, that uh, I could see myself being really proud working at Thomson Reuters. And that's what really uh, ultimately helped me make the choice to, to join. So being at a company that has a strong purpose and that aligns with your own purpose, that's obviously important, right? Absolutely. Uh, certainly in my career, I've thought about, do my values align with the company, uh, with the people that I work with? And again, can I feel like I'm contributing to something which is good and productive for the world? And Thompson Reuters checked you know, all those boxes. It was uh, it was a very natural fit as I started to think about, you know, could I could it be part of this this team? Could it be part of this organization? Thank you, uh, Chris. Thanks for having me, and uh, also excited to be here with you and David and and chat. So uh, I joined Thompson Reuters about a year ago now. I came from LinkedIn most recently. Was also at Nielsen, where I had the good fortune to work with David um, pretty closely. And then also was in consulting prior to that. And similar motivation, honestly, Bev, in terms of uh, being uh, really motivated by the mission and purpose of Thomson Reuters. I've, I've always um, worked for and, and actively sought to work for very mission-driven companies. You know, the, the other motivation that I would highlight is um, that uh, actually part of what David has uh, contributed to in the and the head start that he got at, at Thomson Reuters um, because he was part of um, the effort to kick off our change program, right, and the transformation of our company. And I've, I've always loved to get into um, transformational situations where I could personally have some impact in um, changing mm-hmm. the company in a way that I th- I'm, I'm super excited about. And I think we'll have a big impact on our, our clients and the world around us. It will come as no surprise to many of our listeners, uh, most of which at the moment I think are probably personal friends, that, you know, having been at the organization as child and grown up and as grown up, grown up again, um, I absolutely adore Thomson Reuters 
from a purpose-driven perspective as well. So I can completely relate to both of your your origin stories at, at the organization. Yeah, Beverly, if I can if I can tag on to that as well, because you know, you, you had shared kind of our um, our backgrounds and titles, right? And uh, you shared my potentially very ambiguous title of you know future work and talent strategy. And you know, just just to clear that up a little bit, right? Part of my remit is talent acquisition, right? Going out and getting getting really great talent, and then another part, very intentionally, of of the way that my role has been designed, is also the learning and career development aspect. And so it's kind of when we actually get people in the door, then helping to kind of um, help them find the right kind of career path and and, and foster continued growth for them when they're here. Right. And so, you know, if you think about what that is at, at its core, it, that is all about people and talent, obviously. It, it, it's all about um, making sure that we're we're really connecting people up to opportunities, you know. And so what David just shared about Steve, and I, and I think this is, you know, this holds true for the broader um, team as well, right? I've, I've seen it here very clearly, the, the focus on people, right? And our leaders at the highest levels really get to know and understand the talent that we have and invest a lot of time in them. That was really, really important to me, right? And the, um, you know, the strong focus in their discussions, talent discussions on diversity, equity, and inclusion, Right, which again is 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 fundamentally all about opening the right doors to people, right, and allowing them to kind of run through and you know get us excited and surprise us sometimes, and you know um, continue to grow throughout. I mean, for me to do my job with any kind of belief and enthusiasm required me to really think that we had conviction on all of these things, and I think you know the work that that you and 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 others have done and formation of the black internship scheme is just another example of it, but it's an important example and a shining example. So to that point, um, I want just to ask from your perspectives, what are your thoughts on a scheme of this type? It's not unique in the broader scale of things, um, but it is somewhat unique within within Thomson Reuters. Um, if you'd just like to share some of your thoughts on that, and I and I sort of I do have a follow up. I mean, this is not a Q and A, but I, I just sort of have a follow up based on what you've just uh, what you've just explained as well. You know, again, it's obviously near and dear to my heart, right? Being being responsible for uh, for our talent acquisition efforts, and here's the way that I think about the uh, the scheme. So at Thomson Reuters, we hire several hundreds interns a year, and and we have you know for for many years around the world and across functions, right? Some in in David's organization and product, you know, our engineering organization, our commercial team, et cetera. We do this primarily through our traditional routes, right? For, um, you know, from up, upcoming or recent college or university graduates. And, you know, wh- why does it happen that way, right? Like, you know, it, it comes as a function of, hey, there's an established system and protocol, right? We know, you know, we know we can do this kind of, it's what we've been doing. And, and, you know, it's also because it's reliable, it's a re- reliable channel, right? There's a critical mass of people that are going to be graduating from these schemes. It, 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 you know, it's all set up. What's the problem with that, right? Because we have gotten great talent from those areas. We will continue to get great talent from those areas. Challenge is it can be exclusionary, right? If you think about this idea of like enrollment or a degree being a requirement as opposed to 
seeing it for what it actually is, I think, right? It's it's a proxy, right? It's a signal for us that, hey, you know, folks in this area are excited about this and, and know something about it. But again, you know, everything being engineered around, well, you know, you you need to either be enrolled in this or have this in order to get in, right? It can be exclusionary because we know that enrollment isn't representative still in, in many ways, right? Whether you look at it from a, a race and ethnicity standpoint, right? Or, you know, a income standpoint, right? A family income standpoint. And what are we actually looking for? What we're actually looking for, the proxy is meant to be a proxy for skills and capabilities, right? Um, and a much broader set of folks from a much broader set of backgrounds can have that. So when I look at the, the Black internship scheme, I, I think it's critical because it's inclusive by design and it helps close that gap, right, between, a, you know, these requirements that some, many people have, but not, not all people have, right, and, and the great talent that's out there. And so I, like, when I see it, I get excited because I think it's the tip of the spear of what we should and will be doing more of and what other companies will be doing as well. I'm also thrilled that TR is putting effort into this uh, this scheme, and you know we didn't we didn't spend too much time on our our personal backgrounds to kick off. And I I think it's helpful for me to share a little bit about my story uh, to provide some context as to why for me it personally means quite a bit to me about this this scheme and a lot of the in- initiatives that we have within TR. So. Um, I think one thing which you can't tell, you know, uh, because we're on a podcast is that first I grew up in Canada. Uh, my family were uh, first generation immigrants into Canada and, uh, came from a very solidly middle-class background. And one of my reflections kind of thinking back about the beginning of my career is that you don't know a ton about different companies. You don't know a ton about different career paths, uh, early on. And a lot of it is based off of the perceptions or assumptions that you have about different industries, about different companies, about different lines of work. And uh, I also uh, came out as a gay very early. I came out when I was 15 years old. Uh, And so uh, that was a very important part of my identity. And I also had a lot of preconceptions when I was in school and then started my career about what industries or what businesses would be more friendly or more accepting of me. And it wasn't based in a lot of facts. It was based off of, you know, my perceptions of different companies and different industries. And when I, when I first looked at different jobs, the fact that one of the companies that I, uh, that I interviewed with had a LGBT, a gay and lesbian uh, employee group, and they also had a partner who was part of the, the consulting firm who was out at work. It made an incredible difference to me because I had no idea that, hey, could you be out? Could you be a, uh, an out professional in a white shoe consulting firm? I didn't think it was, uh, it was uh, a possibility. And so where did this come? I realized that my experience is very different than, uh, than uh, a a young black student or a young black person within uh, within the UK or the US or Canada. They're all very different cultural contexts. But I think what is common there is 
you need to see something that a company does to be able to uh, make a statement about what the company values and also to be purposefully inclusive that uh, we need to, to be able to do something that says, Hey, you're welcome here. And I think that's one great thing that the, uh, the black internship scheme does that it, it is a very active statement that we as a company are making that you are welcome here and that you can have a career here and that your assumptions about whether or not a, an industry like information services or law or accounting is, uh, uh, going to be a welcoming and a, and a friendly place for you to build your career. Thank you for that. And thank you for sharing that. It really resonates because our interns shared a similar, well, not a similar story, but shared a reference to needing to have representation for them to be able to to know if they would belong. And you've just explained representation is so important because if if you can't see it, if you can't identify with it, then how do you know if it's even possible, right? So, um, yeah, I, I, I do hope that we, by doing this, are sending a, a clear and a strong signal, um, you know, not just on behalf of the group, the team, the organization, but just more broadly, that, you know, you, you can and you do and you will belong. Um, and there are organizations out there that are, more than willing um, to to stand up and be counted to make sure that you do belong, and and Thomson Reuters is one hundred percent, you know, no one of, one of those. So it sort of leads me on to my follow on to this, and I and I think you both pretty much encapsulated it already, which is, you know, do you believe a program of this this kind has a deeper significance for Thomson Reuters, right? Because let's just be frank. There, there may be some who think that this is all about optics, right? Let's just put it out there, um, that this it, this sounds great, this looks great, you know, it's a big tick in a box um, where a box needed to be ticked and therefore this, yay, Thompson Reuters are doing this. But actually, you know, um, from what you've just explained, it, it sounds like it maybe has a, it definitely has a deeper significance than just being an optics exercise. I'm, I'm interested in your further thoughts on that. I think it's an important statement and it's a statement that I, uh, I definitely agree on that it has, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's not, it's not the optics. It's, it's the reality. You know, I, I mentioned earlier, I think I used the phrase like tip of the spear. I, I, I believe in that because I, I think the black internship scheme specifically, and, and I think our, um, our DNI efforts in general push us. You know, they push us to actually get down to the fundamentals, right, of what's important, what are our values, what do we really believe in, how are we going to live those out, as opposed to falling back on these things, right, that, you know, these heuristics that we have, these tendencies that we have, these natural biases that we have, these systemic biases that we have, right, they, they push us to really think about how, how are we going to do this, you know? Again, it's okay if we, you know, if we remove these things of wh- whether they were spoken or not, if you have to be from these schools, or you have to know, you know, know these folks and in order to um, kind of gain entrance or be positioned best, right? Then you're left with, all right, what are, what are we really looking for? You know, whether it's in the, the requirements that we state, right? Or, you know, when folks are in front of us, right? The conversations that we have and how we're going to be assessing who's a candidate that, you know, is really great 
for this company, for this team, for this job, right? And you know, who's 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 a relatively better candidate? There's a lot of really awesome talent in the world, right? And again, speaking with my my talent acquisition hat on, you know, there, there's an important part of the process which is about getting from hey, there's this amazing pool of talent to we have a finite set of roles and opportunities and, and needs that we're trying to fill. And, and what's the best way to get that done? And I think the Black Internship Scheme and, and again, our, our broader DNI efforts like push us to actually make smarter choices that get at the core of, of yeah, like what 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 do we really believe? And you know, it's so interesting when we um, when I've had conversations with leaders, different leaders about like DNI goals, DNI objectives. Right, it, it really opens the door up to the broader talent strategy discussion. Wait a minute, what are you trying to do with your business? What are you really looking for, and what 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 will help you go further? And what are you lacking right now? And you know, it's amazing how when you have those conversations, a lot of times it gives people very long pauses, right, and it makes them think very meaningfully about those those questions potentially for the first time. Right, because it's so easy to just fall back on. Yeah, this is this is what always works, or I'm just going to roll this this thing forward that we've you know that we've done um, that we were planning to do before, mm-hmm. and it makes you ask why. But there's no denying that by doing, I guess, by doing something like this, um, it is a it is a trade off, right, for an organization if you're going to look at a a different talent pool or a, a different uh, mechanism for um, onboarding talent that doesn't come through the traditional routes, right? Um, I mean, it's it's obvious that it's a risk that we need to take if we wish to grow, if we wish to attract a diverse crop of talent into any organization. But, you know, let's be honest, there, there, there is a risk. Um, there's a risk of uh, maybe falling behind particular objectives that need uh, talent to already be skilled up. There is a potential cost risk if you're looking to invest and train somebody, you know, um, to fulfill the role that you you have open. So would you say that an organization has to be flexible, lenient, more forward thinking even um, to be able to do something like that? I don't know if I necessarily think that you, you need to be more forward leaning. I know I would love to be able to say, oh, yes, Thompson Reuters is being forward leaning because of of this scheme, I think what it is showing for us is that we are one uh, willing to experiment and that we're willing to try new things. Um, and I think that you know, Bev, you you highlighted this question of risk, and so you know, there's risk in all talent acquisition. It doesn't really matter if you you believe you have the best system in the world, you've found all the qualifications. There is always risk, and you never know if the person that joins is going to be able to to be part of the team, to be productive, to do the job. You can just try to find the best signals that you can to help make that decision. And what I really love about this scheme is that it is allowing us to test new and different signals to see what we can learn about people that come from a different background or that don't have the same qualifications that we would normally look to for a particular role and also test the question for for us about uh what what is the balance between how much you learn when you're in a role and when you're in a job 
versus uh, what you learn prior to arriving. There's a false assumption sometimes that, you know, people come into roles and they can just kind of get going right away, right? Everybody takes time to be able to learn a new job, especially when you're first coming out of school or when you're coming into an entry-level role. So, you know, maybe this is a little bit of, a, of an experiment to see, hey, is uh, before the, the advent of, of all of the prevalence of post-secondary education, that there's, there's a lot of, of wisdom, perhaps, in the way that things were done before everyone went to college, before everyone went to university, and people just learned on the job. Um, I think people already do that now, and I think uh, this, is a, this is a great experiment for, for us. I also want to go back to the question you asked before about, you know, is this just optics? And I, I love the question because, you know, Bev, you said you didn't want to be spicy <laughs> on this, this podcast. And I was like, oh, that's a good question. That's getting a little spicy. A little bit. Right? A little bit. And, you know, to be perfectly frank, it depends on what we do with this program as TR, whether or not it is optics or it's not. Because if we make something out of it, and when I say make something out of it, if we learn something from it, that helps us to change the way that we think about bringing people into the org, or that we actually find a great stream of talent and we nurture them and we help to, to bring that representation to be able to help to, to increase the diversity of our population, then that, that's going to be make it, that will make it worthwhile. And does it help to inform other things we can do across TR that there are many different underrepresented minorities that we have in different parts of the world and different geographies that we work in. If this can serve as a as a model for other parts of our organization, then I think it's really valuable. Uh, if we think of it only to serve, you know, a you know a marketing stakeholder or whoever, then yeah, it would definitely just be optics. But that would be a choice that we make to mm -hmm. say, do we try to take what we can learn and, and the full value of this program or not. Uh, I think that's the choice that we can all make. And I, I, I hope that between Chris and me and you and the rest of the team that we do learn a ton and we, we do identify some really high potential talent that comes through this, this, uh, this scheme. Yeah. hundred percent agree with that around us being able to, to uh, confidently and authentically answer your question that it's not, and, and have that position that it's, it's not just optics is in the the making of what, what what do we make from it and how does it change us more broadly? I would also say back on on your question on um, on risks, it's different, right? It requires us to do things differently. But I would also say, hey, there, there's risks in not doing this, right? In some pretty big ways, right? There's risks in us having a a population and an effort that is, you know less informed, right? And, and has less of a, of, of a perspective that's in line with the broader world, including our broader client base, right? Then it should be, right? There's a massive risk in that, you know, in, in having that gap. There's a massive risk in not having the bench of talent, the diverse bench of talent that we need to, you know, shape TR's future, right? And having the future leaders you know, within the company, there's a very practical business risk to if we need to go outside the company every single time we need to, you know, kind of get a leader or get, um, or get somebody who's who's senior with the right perspective. A, that's really, really hard to do in some areas, potentially impossible, some areas of talent. And it's extremely, you know, it can be time and cost prohibitive, 
right? From a from a talent strategy standpoint, the way I see it with um, with this program, I think it's less about risk and it's more about commitment, right? We need to be committed to the success of folks that come into the program, knowing that they might not have training in some areas that others that came through, you know, what is currently more traditional routes have, and so we need to set them up for success. And it needs to be commitment to the program itself, right? Again, to David's point, we're experimenting. When you experiment, you expect to learn some things. You're not going to get it right from the start. And so are you committed to mm-hmm. kind of sticking it through, right? This worked, this didn't work. We'll get better on the next iteration, right? And then, again, is there commitment to take what we learn from this and apply it to our broader efforts, right? So that, you know, kind of the three folks that we have in this initial cohort inform the ultimately the the thousands of folks that we bring in every year and that is certainly the desire that we'd learn obviously we've learned already it's it's coming into you know the the second to last week of month three um they've they've taught us a ton and it you know it's not just about collating data based on experience they absolutely have taught us a ton um on how not only to manage to create and manage a program of this kind but just in terms of um, the the training and the care that they require whilst being within the organization as well. Uh, you, you know, you can't expect people to, to navigate the complexities of Thomson Reuters having only been in a few weeks and only staying three months. Sometimes it takes folks a, a good six months, sometimes even 12 months to, to get around all of what, you know, how the company works and how it needs to work and how you need to operate it within. So I, I definitely agree that there is lots of learnings and lots of takeaways. Um, it has been a learning curve on on both sides, but deeply rewarding to be able to do it and absolutely committed in the hope that we will be able to continue um, doing this going forward, um, gather more partners to do this going forward and encourage others to do the same. Because again, to your point, David, it's not just about the Black Employee Network. There are there are many groups uh, throughout where we operate as a business that would benefit from a similar scheme, right? Uh, there's there's opportunities and avenues that we can explore um, modifying and applying a program of this kind in those other regions. So one of the hopes and one of the takeaways is that we would be able to to do that. We'd be able to mature it based on you know the feedback from the program in its initial cohort. Again, that we learn for the next and those thereafter and propagate this throughout the the regions in complete partnership uh, with the with the wider business. Thank you. Not spicy enough, but <laughs> don't want to get cancelled on the fourth episode. It's slightly easier, but you might find a little bit uh, questions coming up. And these are this is the section of the the podcast when we drop to answering uh, questions from the previous guests. Um, and you would not have heard um, episode number three. Episode number three included Lucinda Case and Patrick Hurley. They were challenged to answer Steve's question, um, which means that you are now challenged to answer their questions. Um, so I'll put this out um, and you can each take this, choose who would like to go first. We don't mind. Are we ready? Uh, question number one, what is the personal commitment uh, that you are making to further the Thomson Reuters diversity and inclusion agenda? I feel like it's a little bit of a, an easy question because we, we both will participate <laughs> in so many of the different TEI things we do at TR. But let me see, what, what's a more personal mm. commitment? Um, 
Well, one thing which I've been doing is participating as the executive sponsor for uh, a new Pride chapter that we have in uh, North America. So Pride is our LGBT employee network at TR. And there has been a gap for remote workers. So uh, a lot of our employee resource groups are oriented around offices. And people are not coming to offices that often. And so many more people are now becoming remote only. So we haven't had the space for remote first uh, employees. So I've stepped in to be able to provide support there. And it's been very rewarding because I've gotten to, to know one, a, a, a group of fantastic, fantastic employees within TR. And it's also helping to provide, again, support to folks that don't have the same frequency of in-person collisions with with people and we've heard so much from our our folks that the office is so valuable for that social connection and now that so many people are starting to work remote first or remote all the time because of post-pandemic we need to create these these venues for people to still have this you know a little bit of work social life uh because otherwise it can be a little bit of a drag uh, just signing on to teams every day and signing off. So that's one way where I've uh, been more personally involved uh, in the past couple of couple of months. I'm going to call back to the um, you know kind of the part of my job that relates to to recruiting, right? Um, and this will be a, a very meta, not not David's former employer, but meta in setup um, thing. But um, you know when I when I think about and as I as I've thought about the talent acquisition team. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of on the front lines of folks seeing the company, right? Many people seeing the company candidates, definitely. Right. You know, we touch thousands of candidates in a given week and, um, we, we've made efforts to, you know, kind of support the team, develop the team to, um, you know, be, uh, adopt inclusive recruiting practices, right. Both in terms of kind of who they're looking for, how they're looking for talent, and you know the way that they they engage with talent and and you know help guide David and and other leaders and managers to assess you know assess talent to try to find the right person, um, and I think that's really really important. I think it's also insufficient um, when we look at kind of um, you know the overall makeup of our team. We're you know in several respects I think kind of a, a less diverse team than I'd want us to be, right? And obviously I have both by function, but also by team leadership, you know, very personal, you know, accountability for that. And so, you know, the commitment that I, you know, that I, that I make is that um, as we go and, you know, kind of like continue to grow the team or shape the team, um, you know, ensuring that we are practicing what we preach and having, you know, kind of um, an inclusive, approach to recruiting for the team and an intentional one, including ensuring that we have a diverse slate of candidates each time we, you know, go out and, and fill a role or we work with a provider, right? That if we're working with a third party and, um, you know, we can push uh, with them to ensure that they have inclusive practices inclus- and a uh, diverse set of team members, that, that'll that be my commitment. And, you know, like, as, as we talked about on, on some of the why behind, you know, what I've done and I like to get into places and into positions where I can inf- affect the entire system. And I think that's a, you know, that's a big way that, that we can affect, um, having, having us have an inclusive approach to our recruiting effort by ensuring that the team is reflective of, you know, the population that, that we want to recruit. 
brilliant. And that's the global team, just for everybody who's listening. Correct. Okay. So thank you both very much. I don't want to monopolize too much time. But um, if you've heard them before, then we get to this part of the, the episode where you get your random three questions. So your flash threes. And then I hope in the meantime, you've been thinking about the question you want to put to our next upcoming guests. Um, and you obviously you get one each because you had two. We got two guests on. You get one each. So your random questions are as follows. <clears throat> What's your most memorable flight for its turbulence? So uh, it's the only time that I ever flew on a like company private plane, and it was only because I knew I knew somebody who was able to ask somebody and, and get me on. It was you know whatever we were at this conference. All the other flights had been canceled because of weather, right? This mm-hmm. like private flight. Still, still was going, and so I, I very, uh, you know, sheepishly like jumped on the flight. There's a reason why all other flights from one area to where I was going had gotten canceled, and so it was the most harrowing experience of of my flying life. You know, when we got close to the area that we were going to, plane went down. Did the um, if you've seen either of the Top Guns now, did the thing where they're about to land and they pull right back up uh, two times. And then everybody got off the flight. We did land, obviously, safely eventually. Everybody got off the flight, said <laughs> not a word to anybody else. Uh, you know, when we, <laughs> when we departed, it was just like, um, you know, when your life flashes before your eyes, you, uh, uh, you need a little bit of time to process. <laughs> yeah. So that was mine. Mine is far more boring. Uh, <laughs> I, I have not been on a, like, life-threatening turbulent flight and i say that i'm sure my next flight is going to be just horrifying <laughs> you just jinx yourself just you jinx know? myself <laughs> I, i've only had basically horribly embarrassing things happen because of uh because of turbulence once uh there was really bad turbulence and i was sitting in a row with a bunch of people and we all had drinks and they all spilled all over everybody right basically just you know soaked our pants um or trousers rather uh for the audience and that's always a joy just to be able to step off a, a plane to look like you've, uh, you've soiled yourself. Uh, <laughs> I think the only other, other experiences, uh, I was on a flight where I was returning from the restroom and they said, you must return to your, 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 your seat because, uh, because of turbulence. And I was walking down the aisle and then suddenly we hit the turbulence and I fell into the row on top of somebody. And uh, probably more memorable for for him than it was for me <laughs> because you know, for me I was just like, oh thank God someone caught me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. Well, thank you, thank you for that. You, you you're going to catch a theme on here that I'm I'm uh, equating my three questions to my own terrible experiences on a turbulent flight. But anyway, next random one is swimming pool or sea. Assuming you swim. So would you rather swim in a swimming pool or would you rather swim in the sea? I go swimming pool. I like the um, chlorinated, curated water versus the the salty water. At least the seas that I've been in have been quite salty. I swim not for cardio exercise, just for fun and joy. So sea for me. Excellent. Perfect. There's no hidden meaning behind this, by the way. There's no... You like the sea because you have an expansive outlook on life and you only like a swimming pool because you like to be controlled. There's none of that. Just I just want to put that out there. Uh, so our final question, and this might be something you do already, but philanthropy or entrepreneur? Hmm. 
maybe at different points in my life. I mean, to, you know, I'm still relatively young. I don't have very much to give away. So, <laughs> so entrepreneur, I think it'll help me to become a philanthropist later uh, okay. in my life. Okay, we'll take that. Thank you. I like both of those, but I will I will say philanthropy. I, I also don't have much to give away, but I have uh, I have kids and, you know, sort of the, no, seriously, and, and the opportunity. No, it wasn't going to be the kids equal my philanthropy. It's that the... Uh, the opportunity oh. <laughs> to kind of like enroll them and their and their mindset in um you know kind of giving giving back right and 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 um you know and and contributing right um, just as you receive I think has been uh, has been really important so we we actually have a um, matching donations here at Thomson Reuters right and so mm-hmm. on birthdays and around um kind of like the the you know kind of winter holiday my wife and i um sit our kids down and we give them the the option and we kind of like sit together to try to pick places to uh donate to and that's part that's part of the gift along with like the other packages that break our budget but yeah so that, that that's why i choose i guess <laughs> they get some stuff to open yeah okay <laughs> yeah exactly brilliant so your questions you get two so you get one each what would, you, what would you like to ask the upcoming guests? I believe that a really important part of what makes DNI work is that leaders have, or, or people in general, have belief around why DNI is critical to not just the broad business or the world, but the team that they're leading. And so my question is, what's the why behind DNI for your team? What makes DNI so crucial? for your team to be able to do what it needs to do to contribute to our work and our business? I think for me, I'm going to ask a question which is a little bit more closed. We've talked a lot about how we bring in people to the organization. So how do we think about finding representation in talent acquisition or finding different sources of of diverse talent? But it doesn't make a big difference if we can't retain people because we need to make sure that we create an environment that develops and retains and excites the diverse talent that we bring in. So my question to the next podcast guests is what is the one action that you would take within your team to help retain, excite, develop diverse talent? That was brilliant. That really was. Thank you very much for your candid feedback for your insights for your own personal experiences thanks for not thinking that any of the questions were that spicy i mean you know they were they were okay kind of middle of the line um and i think that's a a fantastic place to to draw us to a close um you've been great guests and uh we we appreciate you thanks a lot thank you bev awesome thank you interning a thomson reuters podcast don't miss new episodes Follow on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.